time for right. God talk. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. We'll do I wish that. we had sound mm. effects like God talk and it would like echo or something. <laughs> It's just a little um, like audio cue that yeah. people know. It's like it's a bell. It's yeah, ringing it's... the bell. Oh, they're gonna talk about God now, right? Yeah, it should be a bell. All the Catholics would drop to their knees though, or something, or stand up in the Latin mass. We stand up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, like Pavlov's. Yeah. Um, Pavlov's dog. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 68. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay, and today we are talking about women's intuition. From a young age, we are taught to trust our instincts, and many of us can probably call to mind times when we just had a sense that something was not quite right, or someone was just a bit off. Today we're chatting about intuition and some of the factors that play into it, from the psychological to the spiritual and more. But first, if you enjoy this episode of the Modern Lady Podcast, please take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your review can help our little podcast stand out so that others may find us too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes out to Christina Andrus, who took to our Facebook page and wrote, quote, yours is the only podcast that I know which day of the week you release a new episode. I eagerly await Tuesdays, end quote. Thank you so much, Christina. It means so much to us that you look forward to each episode. We definitely know the feeling of eagerly awaiting our favorite podcasts to drop on launch days. And we are so delighted to know that ours is heartily anticipated as well. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com. Or you can leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. Many of us are having to log on to video conferencing, and for some people it's the first time ever. And as with everything, that has to do with some social interaction, whether it's in person or online, there are some etiquette tips that I want to share with you so that you make a great impression while on Zoom, possibly while your kids are tearing the house apart in the next room. I pulled some of these tips from both techrepublic.com and owllabs.com. The first thing you need to do is check your equipment. We know about that, right, Michelle? (laughs) Make sure your Wi-Fi signal is strong and that if you're using a laptop or tablet, it is charged. You also should spend a minute checking the lighting so that you're not backlit and that the camera is framed correctly. It is best to not have anything too distracting in the background, and some video conferencing apps like Skype have the option to blur your background out so that you stand out more and people won't be tempted to just read the titles of the books behind you on the shelf. Just me, or do you guys all do that? (laughs) If you have pets, you should probably put them in another room despite how much everyone, quote, seemed to think they were cute last time when they kept coming into the room. Even though you're at home, if this is a work meeting, you should still dress appropriately, at least from the waist up. And be on time. This one is crucial. The person running the meeting um, should have taken the time to plan out a tight agenda and to keep everything moving smoothly. And it already takes a lot of time to get everybody logged in. And if they have to wait and make awkward small talk until you get there, it just doesn't look good. If you have to be late, send a message to the person running the meeting and they can choose to start before you log in. 
Remember to mute yourself when you are not talking. Mics can pick up all sorts of sounds even when you're not speaking. Right, Michelle? How many times have you edit- had to edit out my crazy stomach sounds? <laughs> now, just be sure to turn your, mic- your mute off when you're ready to speak. Finally, keep yourself focused, have your notes and speaking points ready and stick to them and also shut down all of your other notifications so you aren't tempted to browse Facebook um, during a lull in the meeting. Now, these tips are mostly for our working from home listeners, but I'm not sure if there are any Zooming tips for, you know, doing a video conference with your family. Is there anything that you could suggest, Michelle? Hmm. Yes, we do Zoom with families. Um... I would actually say, for my part anyways, I feel like I'm almost uh, too Mm. polite. Mm. I'm so uh, nervous about talking over someone or interrupting someone, especially if there are multiple people in Mm. the call, that I feel like I just sit and listen. Mm. (laughs) I think intuiting um, who is going to speak (laughs) next (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, is a little bit more difficult on a video call. So you may just Mm -hmm. have to pay more attention to that. But I did like the tip about the lighting. Mm-hmm. Lighting is something that I I really like to be aware of. And so I often try to sit in front of a window mm-hmm. or something um, to the point where my dad actually asked. He's like, how can your how is your picture so clear? Mm-hmm. And I told him, I was like, well, I like to sit in front of a window for the natural light. Mm-hmm. And so every time I log on now with my family, he's like, so what window are we in front of today? <laughs> <laughs> For something so widely and commonly felt, the whole concept of our intuition still seems like kind of a vague notion. But like we mentioned in our opening, I think many of us can recall a moment or two or more in our lives when we've had that unbidden feeling in our guts. Right, Lindsay? Yeah. So this conversation was sparked from an incident that happened to my daughter and I a couple of nights ago, but we've had friends with similar incidents, you know, over the last couple of months that we've talked to. And so this is not, Mm -hmm. this is something we've wanted to address actually for a while, but as we learned this morning, it is a way bigger topic than we ever thought. (laughs) It's a doozy. (laughs) It's a doozy. So we will do our best here, but I want to share with you guys what happened. So A couple of nights ago, I decided to go out with my eldest daughter, she's 13, on a short walk because the sun was just starting to set and it was just so beautiful outside and I knew I would have us home before it was dark out. Well, we turned right onto a sidewalk outside of our house and saw two young men, maybe in their early 20s, quite a far way down the street, but walking in our direction. Now, it is mostly my custom to cross the street when men are approaching, especially at this time of night, and especially when there are a few people out and, you know, this whole physical distancing thing. A lot of people are crossing the street. Charlotte, my daughter, suggested that we walk down a side street and look at some of the new houses being built there. I agreed, so we headed that way. Within a minute, about a minute, those two men that were quite far away off were behind us now on the opposite side of the street. And... I had the immediate sense that they had followed us down the side street because they really would have had to have run in order to make it to the spot in such a short Mm. time. I told Charlotte that it wasn't safe for us to continue to venture down into the area where they were building the new houses as it's pretty isolated down there. And so I told her we would just stand for a minute and look around and then we would turn around and walk home. She also, you know, without me saying anything, noticed the men and she's like, did they follow us here? And I'm like, yeah, I, I suspect so. 
So we turned to go and my action of turning around caught the guys off guard and I made direct eye contact with one of them and they immediately turned around and hightailed it out of there and took off down um, back um, onto the main street. And they turned in the opposite direction of their original trajectory. And this confirmed for me that their act, um, that this act of not returning to their original direction of walking, that that meant that they had in fact altered their path in order to follow us. We walked immediately home, which was only a minute or two away. And I immediately spoke with my husband, Jason, about what happened. Now, my mind was flooded with immediate thoughts that were separate from my gut reaction. My gut reaction, my mom gut, as I call it, kicked in in the first seconds that I spotted these men from a distance. I said earlier that crossing the street to avoid men is my custom, but the truth is I, I always think about doing that, but it doesn't always happen in practice. Um, but in this circumstance, I knew that we needed to cross. Like there was no question in my mind that we needed to not be near these men. This was my initial gut response, and it wasn't tied to any facts or critical thinking. I started gathering facts like, okay, they have now crossed the street and are closer to us, and it isn't safe to proceed in the direction we were originally going. And then I made a decision that it was time to go home. My brain then started rapidly playing through scenarios in the two minutes that it took to get us home. I made, as I made my decision to relay what happened to my husband, I thought, was I overreacting? Was it just a coincidence? Was I profiling these young men? Am I just being silly? But then I thought, what if Charlotte had been with a friend? What if I hadn't turned around and saw them and we proceeded into the quiet and secluded new house area? And what would Jason do when I told him? And what was my daughter thinking? This very short experience only took four or five minutes total, but engaged every psychological and biological response in my body, a gut reaction plus reason, plus perhaps the prompting of the Holy Spirit or my guardian angel. So I did tell Jason and his police officer brain processed it very quickly using his own thought process coupled with intuition. He is trained to make split second decisions and to weigh out situations, gathering quote facts and not just emotions. Within seconds, he's already evaluating what is, quote, known and to see if there are any grounds for charges and if something could hold up in court. I mean, that's what he has to do in his job very quickly. My response was based mostly on emotion coupled with a few facts, but Jason's thought process was totally different. And he was able to separate his emotional response, that is fear for his wife and daughter, and quickly make the decision as to whether or not this was worth pursuing. I'll cut the short story short here and just say that Jason absolutely did the right thing. He didn't act rashly, but rather he was prudent in what he did next. And his actions let Charlotte and I know that he took our gut feelings seriously and did what he could to make us feel heard, validated, and safe. And this was a massive lesson, not only for me, but for our 13-year-old daughter about trusting your gut, speaking out for yourself, and for telling someone when you've been in a situation that made you feel uncomfortable. Hmm. Wow. I, yeah, I remember uh, you telling me this story earlier and still mm. even the second, second time hearing it, I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And you know, when you're talking about how, you know, this was a, a reaction that was made without uh, any kind of critical thinking or decision making mm -hmm. or anything like that. Um, you know, that's exactly what intuition is, right? It's mm -hmm. this holistically, um, effect laden judgment and yeah. it's fast and it's not it's without any conscience or deliberate weighing of facts mm -hmm. and I find it really interesting too that you know that this happened to you and in the moment you just reacted and afterwards was when all of these 
reflections and revelations came, but just in the moment, your body almost just acted on its own accord almost. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I feel like even, I know recounting the story, I mean, nothing happened, right? Nothing actually happened. And, but the fact that I think with a lot of these mom gut feelings or, you know, these feelings of deep intuition, um, we'll never know what would have happened because we acted. And so Mm. it doesn't have this shocking ending to it or anything like that. But it's what we're trying to convey is that this is that immediate feeling that has a physiological response, literally like a punch in the gut. You can feel it where something says, this isn't right. You need to leave right now, or you need to go check on so-and-so, one of your kids, your husband. And there are countless stories of people who've, who've had that exact moment and have caught something in the act, right? Or mm-hmm. saved one of their kids. But some of them are just like mine, where we'll never know what would have happened. But I'm glad that I trusted my gut and that my daughter also felt that in a controlled way with her mom there. And then, you know, watched the process as then we became logical about it. We were rational. We stayed calm. And then what you do next with the decision-making process, but we didn't just brush it off. And I think that that was really important for her to learn. Mm -hmm. You're right. Because there is something uh, in our society that kind of prompts us to question our gut instincts, mm-hmm. right? Like they're for some reason, for whatever reason, and I can't think of any overt campaign against a person's intuition, but yeah. it is kind of like this sense that you might feel it and you might feel it really strongly, um, this sense that something's not right. Mm-hmm. But then almost immediately afterwards, maybe once the danger has passed, as in your situation, then all of a sudden you start um, hesitating Uh, And questioning if what you felt was legitimate and um, whether or not you brought it about yourself or you're Mm -hmm. imagining things. Uh, And that makes us really hesitant to uh, confide in other people what we have felt or what we intuited. And that you're absolutely right. And so when we're trying to teach children about this, it can get Mm -hmm. really complicated, right? As you can hear the language we're having to use. And one mom calls it um, their belly buzzer. And I loved that. Mm. Oh, I like that too. Right? Belly buzzer. Because it's not quite the feeling of butterflies in one's stomach, which can mean Mm. many different things, including excitement and joy. So if you're really trying to break it down to your kids, you could say, well, it's kind of like butterflies in your stomach, but it's a little different. I I feel like belly buzzer sums it up perfectly. And it's that feeling that when you are in a situation that has the potential, and it might not, but the potential to turn dangerous or that ominous feeling of darkness being present. And I've certainly felt that more times than, than once. Mm-hmm. Now, Michelle and I wanted to tackle this vast and complicated topic of mother's instinct as best we could, talking about it from a biological standpoint, looking into the psychology of gut feelings and how this changes culturally. And of course, this wouldn't be the Modern Lady podcast without us looking at this from a theological standpoint too. But <laughs> seeing as how we aren't really medical doctors or psychologists or anthropologists or theologians, we're just two busy moms. Mm. We're going to try to do our best here in a short amount of time to really examine just what mom gut is and why we think it's important that we as women listen to that prompting that's telling us when something isn't safe. And now I call it mom gut because it's developed more in me as I've become a mother, but I can say that I felt this before I was a mom. So women's intuition, all of those terms work. I just, at this stage in my life, I call it mom gut. And I think when I say that all the other moms out there get it, but this is not exclusive to moms. Right. Those pesky limitations where we don't have... (laughs) 
<laughs> the credentials. Like our credentials in any academic field. <laughs> however, however, you're talking about it. Uh, we just call it mom gut because that just yeah. happens to be the stage we're at. And we are moms. So um, and we'll come at guts. it. <laughs> So hopefully that's enough credibility for us to at least have a like a, a chat over our hypothetical coffees yes. <laughs> over it. Yeah, I, I do agree, though. Like, it's really interesting when we talk about women's intuition, because, of course, intuition is probably something that like both genders have. Yeah. But it's almost like a thing in culture to talk about women's intuition. And we were kind of talking about even historically, I don't know how far back we want to go. I went all the way back to hunter-gatherer time. (laughs) So, (laughs) but just this idea that a woman's intuition and a man's intuition may have um, had different purposes, right? And so it may have manifested differently. Like perhaps, um, I just found it interesting to think about a woman's intuition being uh, the need to be a bit more on the defense, mm-hmm. right? Um, should she need to protect herself and her children as the mom gut, you need to kind of sense when something's coming yeah. uh, that could be dangerous to you, right? Because your reaction to danger would be different from a man's yeah. reaction to danger. Uh, whereas the intuition of a man could poss- possibly, and we um, kind of hypothesized, it could be a little bit more offensive Mm. but this kind of related back to our home guard episode it all it all somehow makes its (laughs) way back to the home (laughs) yeah right for us and the family and the fact that um, this could all be by design yeah so speaking of design let's jump right into biology Um, excellent there was a study done in 2015 by bianca marlin a postdoctoral student at the university of columbia in the department of neuroscience And in her study, the researchers injected oxytocin, which is that feel-good hormones that moms usually get, um, into virgin mice. Up until this point, when virgin mice heard the cries of baby mice, they would either ignore them or they would eat them. While the the (laughs) (laughs) the mice who were already mothers or who had been pregnant would seek out the crying babies, whether they were theirs or not, and they would take care of them. When oxytocin was injected into the virgin mice, it changed their very brain chemistry and it altered it. And those mice no longer cannibalized the crying little mice. Now they actually went and took care of them. And this is really incredible. And part of the study actually was showing how adoptive mothers can develop oxytocin too at that time and how that bond, that mother and child bond can come from caring for children, not just from birth. But we're going to jump back to birth here for a minute. So oxytocin is known as the, quote, love hormone, and it increases throughout pregnancy and then comes in really large doses during labor and delivery. This isn't the same as with C-sections, and this is controversial, but as a C-section mom myself, and you've had C-sections too, we're not, Mm -hmm. I'm not at all offended by this, the science, because it's not about emotions, that oxytocin isn't released in that same dose during a C-section. The -hmm. good news is that you can build it up through skin to skin, you know, which I think every hospital Mm -hmm. in Canada and US now promotes skin to skin, and it really jumps up during breastfeeding. Now, there's a few hormones that are present in the postpartum period, and another one I learned about this morning has blown my mind. This one is called, and are you ready for this? Um, Yes. Cortisotropin-releasing hormone, or CRH. And basically, Mm. its role is to reduce anxiety, and it is found in breastfeeding mothers who are suckling at the breast on demand. 
But what I found most interesting, so it makes the mom less fearful and have less anxiety, but it actually increases within her the ability to sense danger and to fight to protect her offspring. So she is more Mm. alert, but she doesn't feel anxiety. How cool is that? That is pretty neat. You'd think those two things go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. There's an actual built-in chemical in our brains that um, make that distinction and lower one and heighten the other as needed. Absolutely. And then the other hormone that's released, so on top of oxytocin and um, CRH, CRH, is prolactin. There's evidence that prolactin remains in a woman long after she's finished breastfeeding. Um, Prolactin creates the milk and then oxytocin does the letdown. That's the hormone that releases the milk into the baby. Mm. Prolactin, oxytocin, and endorphins, those happy drugs too, work together to create a peaceful, happy mother-baby interaction, and they establish a bond. And in one article, this bond was described as the birth of the mother through the birth of the child, right? She became the mother in this process of the hormonal and brain changes, the brain chemistry changes that occur postpartum in a a woman. Wow. I I find this really interesting because you're right. Like we talk about women's intuition, mom's intuition. And um, actually the one thing that really stood out to me in in all of this uh, at first was just the possibility that you can develop it Mm -hmm. even on your own too, right? So Uh, a lot of it very much based on biology clearly um, and these hormones but even just like you can practice it and through circumstances you can develop it as well like Mm -hmm. it just seems to be something that's on the cusp of what we're meant to be able to do um, in terms of intuition and having instincts Uh, and there are all kinds of different resources and areas that would help us develop it Um, whether it comes from nursing and giving birth to our babies or through other methods of building and developing our sense of awareness. You're right. So basically our bodies have all of the ingredients in them needed to Mm -hmm. care for our children. You know, we're we're almost like we're programmed from some grand designer to do so. Of course, (laughs) these things, yeah, right. (laughs) Things rarely go as planned. So we do, like you're saying, we understand that some mothers can't breastfeed, some choose not to, and some don't have the luxury of laying and suckling. I kept reading the word suckle, so I had to use it because I like that word. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Parental advisory, I said suckle. Um, And, you know, they need to go back to work. (laughs) So we obviously aren't covering all of those unique and challenging circumstances right now. This is just a simple and quick overview of what hormones are in place to help Mm -hmm. us bond with our babies. You know what? Again, this is science. It's not emotions. And we're just saying to you that there is a scientific basis here for that very, very tight bond that would start to contribute to feelings of intuition or mother's gut. You had mentioned before men, and you know what? I did start to research father's intuition and Mm -hmm. surprise surprise it's an entirely new rabbit hole and we just didn't have time for that today and again it's the modern lady podcast right so So this is our acknowledgement that such a thing exists but we just can't do it today yes yeah yeah (laughs) yeah all the biology I find so interesting too and like what you were saying earlier I'm also not offended to hear all this about like um, giving birth and uh, nursing your children and stuff because I've always required C-sections myself and I actually wasn't able to really nurse any of my children for a long time except for my last one. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I really think that 
what you were saying too about being able to improve your intuition Mm -hmm. um, in addition to biology is really interesting too. My mom mentioned something about practicing Mm self-awareness just in your day-to-day life, just so that it becomes almost second nature to you to be aware of things, people, feelings, emotions that are around you. So they just, um, really come to you quickly. She gave the example of her driving lessons when she was a teenager and her driving instructor was so insistent on telling, telling what you saw in your surroundings. Mm -hmm. And she said they, he would always, um, you know, say, no, be more specific, be more specific. So like, there's a car over there, be more specific. What color is it? Um, what side is it on? Are they signaling? Is the window down? She said it helped her train herself to constantly be surrounding things. And so now it's almost like it's almost like she just sees it without thinking about seeing it. Mm-hmm. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? It sure does. And I feel like, yeah. Yeah. If you practice that on your own, you practice it with your kids as mm-hmm. well. Um, perhaps this is one way that we can like heighten our own intuitions. And so that all this information that's coming into our brain, it comes in automatically now without having to actually sit there and concentrate on something. It's one of our favorite games because Jason does that as a police officer too, right? There's that classic, um, everybody knows Mm. that when police officers sit in a restaurant, they sit facing the door. They don't sit there with their back to the people. Like there's a whole bunch of things. They sit where they can see the parking lot. And so we'll do that where we're in a restaurant and we're like, where are the fire escapes? Where are the, you know, we kind of play Jason Bourne. Do you remember that scene in the Bourne Identity where he's in the restaurant too and he can name everything about everything that's happening in like one second where he, anyways, it's a great scene where he impresses the girl. (laughs) I've never seen that movie. You've never seen the born identity. Yeah. It's my favorite movie. Okay. Well now I'll drop it off at your house. Um, Okay. (laughs) So it's a great scene about that very thing. Now I read an article in psychology today by a doctor named Dr. Kang. She's a medical doctor and a mother of three herself. She works with mothers and tries to help them trust their intuition. And when she asks them, what does your gut say? Many of these parents, And these parents are meeting with her due to a problematic issue with their children. So these mothers really are already having a bit of an issue being in tune with their kids. But many of these mothers are stopped in their tracks. And she said they slip right into a fight or flight mode when she asks them what their gut says. She has to calm them down and walk them through how to listen to their own intuition. And like what your mom said, she recommends a list of ways to reduce stress in our lives because when we can reduce the stress, we can become a lot more in tune with everything happening around us. So things Mm. like looking at the big picture. And again, like your mom said, being mindful of the present, she goes on to explain that mothers would really benefit from growing more confident in this and letting go of our generation's fear-based decision-making or making decisions based on what she calls status anxiety which is decisions Mm. um, that we think about that would alter our status or how people see us. And she's like, we're the first generation that are actually making decisions like that, that aren't trusting our guts. Oh, that is so interesting because she's right. It is this generation Mm -hmm. because we are so visible, right? And our decisions (laughs) are so public. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that's true. Like that kind of feeds into this whole hesitation of expressing what we are intuiting right? Mm -hmm. Like, we're like, yeah, but what will people think if we express our concerns? It's like, well, since when did we start making decisions because we're afraid of what people will think? And what are we afraid of them thinking about? I guess it would be how they see us in terms of our status. Yeah. Status anxiety. Hmm. It's the first time I've ever read that. 
Um, scientists now know that a mother's brain wiring is constantly changing up to two years after birth. But this actually shocks me. This is an area that they really haven't studied. And most people would argue that the quote sixth sense um, is something that new mothers have. Like a lot of women can hear their baby crying even when nobody else can hear their baby crying. Um, mm -hmm. I can be like, no, I hear it. And I drop everything. You know, if we had a bunch of people in the house and I'd run up. I to can the baby, do that. Right. Yes. I have and that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then um, I, but I can't imagine that after two years, that sixth sense of motherhood just evaporates. And, and in fact, I know a lot of women with teenagers who would say all the time I, that they just know when something's up. So mm -hmm. even though science can only prove it hormonally and with um, certain tests that they've done up until two years, they are the first to admit that they just haven't tested it far, uh, further right now in mothers. That's interesting. That kind of plays into, and I know it is kind of its own field, but it has ties to emotional intelligence, mm -hmm. right? And I guess this would fall under the umbrella of social intuition, mm -hmm. being able to sense how others feel, right? So like the emotional intelligence of a person, it basically is the ability to understand and manage your own emotions in a way to relieve stress or empathize with others, um, diffuse conflicts, things like that. And what some people are saying, there was a, a TED talk that I was listening to yesterday on the subject, and they were saying the higher the EQ of a person, the clearer sense you, you have of how you and others are feeling in that moment and why, mm -hmm. and it's the faster you can decipher it um, and then act upon it, right? Yeah, that so, makes sense. That's great. So when you're, yeah, when you're talking about teenagers, right, you just know something is off or like that's the sense we also get as mothers. That's uh, maybe more the emotional side of intuition. You can just sense when someone's not okay yeah, without them even saying a word and within seconds of them being in your presence. And I find that psychologically um, having your intuition on point is really useful and kind of natural. There was a, another experiment done, we'll talk about in a minute, a study done, and it kind of goes on to provide the proof or the evidence of what you're saying about split-second decision-making. And mm. um, it's being, this case, it doesn't prove necessarily being self-aware, but that, I'll get to it in one sec. Let's let's just get to the study. I, I don't want to give it away yet. So okay. <laughs> there was okay. a study performed in 1996 that involved a gambling game, and the test participants were divided into two groups those with normal brain functions, and those who had prefrontal damage in their brains, which impacted their decision-making abilities. There were four decks of cards labeled A through D, and decks A and B carried with them a higher risk and higher, a potentially higher reward, while the risk and reward were cut in half for decks C and D. The participants didn't know this, and they also didn't know that although the higher risk and higher reward decks seemed worth the gamble, that in the end, they would actually make more money by playing it safe. What soon became apparent is that the participants with the normal functioning brain started to anticipate the cards that made them lose money. This took about 50 turns, but once this instinct kicked in, they rarely made a mistake again, and they started having a physical response because they were testing their physical responses like an electricity on the skin or sweating before mm -hmm. they had turned over a bad card. It would appear as though they could sense that it was about to happen. The participants with the brain damage never picked up on this, and even when it was made apparent to them, they never altered their strategies. 
Now, they go in to describe the science behind why all this happened, but their conclusion was that they provided evidence that this provided evidence of a non-conscious decision-making process that takes place in our brains, helping us make split-second decisions by accessing our memory banks and reminding our dopamine center of previous rewards and punishments. And all of this happens in a split second and or very, very quickly, and it can come off feeling like intuition. Hmm. I know there's so much that we were reading about biology and psychology that after a certain point, I was like, I just need to know like theologically what the tie-in for all this is. Mm -hmm. So that's our third section. So now we've covered biology and we've covered psychology. And now, of course, there is a God element to all of this, Mm -hmm. right? And actually, I was thinking about this too. So, um, when I was teaching a a class, a catechesis class in the fall for our high school kids uh, on the Battle of Lepanto, Mm -hmm. uh, which I can talk about another time, but that would be way too long to get into now. But the Battle Battle of Lepanto, I was talking about um, sacramental imagination and how God is present in all creation. He's present in all human beings. And so, um, you know, material things in human beings can be channels and sources of God's grace, mm-hmm. right? He works with creation to speak to us and to guide us. And this goes into the religion versus science debate. I'll put Wait, debate there's in a debate quotes. between religion and science, Michelle? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to shock you or appall you, but some may say that religion and science <laughs> they don't go hand each in other. Hand. No. Uh, no. But, you know, (laughs) joking aside, like uh, God created science. Mm -hmm. He created our biology and our psychology. Mm -hmm. So it could absolutely be a logical um, thought that divine inspiration could come to us using our intellect and our brains and our bodies and our guts to inform us of a truth of which we may otherwise be unaware. Right. right? So this is where the, the theological musings begin on the subject of intuition. We are humans in a supernatural world, right? We acknowledge that Mm -hmm. there's a supernatural level to all of this. And the church has not shied away from this. I know I had to watch and guard within myself that I wasn't leaning back towards like the occult or ESP or, you know, when I was looking into intuition. Right. Because I was kind of nervous about that myself. Yeah. 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 Because mm-hmm. there is definitely a new age slant on this, but like with everything from the quote new age, there is an age old um, Catholic take on it. <laughs> oh, good. Right. Right. And so we, we want to start there because I do believe that it, it is rooted in this. And so One of the most interesting things that I read about, and this is something I just learned about, when you and I started asking around some of our friends what perhaps intuition might be called in ancient Catholic theology, because we know that ancient Catholic theology has some pretty cool Latin type words, um, Mm -hmm. Latin based words um, for things that we struggle with now. Anyways, we thought there's got to be some word and I still haven't found one word that sums up what intuition is. But my husband, Jason, um, he has a master's of divinity. He suggested I look into infused knowledge. And I found this little passage from servant of God, Father Tarden, a really Mm. well-respected priest. Um, You know, he's on the cause for sainthood will be opened. Obviously already started with servant of God. So we can trust him. And what he wrote, and this is a whole other huge thing. So we're not going to go deep into this, but this idea of infused knowledge 
Um, it says Adam's infused knowledge was not acquired in the sense of natural cognition derived from experience and the reasoning process, nor was it intrinsically supernatural as giving a knowledge of the mysteries such as the souls and joy and the beatific vision. It was not beyond the capacity of man's faculties in his statue VA, which means his state of journeying. Theologians commonly refer to three areas of special knowledge possessed by Adam regarding God and his attributes, the moral law or man's relations to God, and the physical universe, both material and spiritual. Well, if Adam possessed those three you know, types of special knowledge, that's pretty huge. And so this mm. is what this idea of infused knowledge is, that Adam had all of this knowledge um, and that he lost it during the fall. But what my husband and many other theologians have proposed is that we might sometimes have glimpses of that knowledge. Um, we might have periods where a flash where we have an understanding where something is not of this world. And I think so many people would agree to have having had a moment like that, whether it was one of fear, right? Being aware of keenly aware that there is a flash of evil in the world mm. or um, on the flip side, a, a remarkable miraculous feeling where you can just truly feel the presence of the heavens. Um, so this is what infused knowledge is. And that's just the start of this part of the conversation. Um, but what we're acknowledging is that we believe you and I, that there is a spiritual element to this and that we are being guided, not just by our biology and our psychology, not just nature and nurture, but sometimes by God's hands himself. Mm -hmm. And we can even see this too. in. um, well, I've been teaching confirmation preparation for a few years now, mm -hmm. and so I've gotten well reacquainted <laughs> with the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. And some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when we're talking about this like moral intuition, this spiritual intuition, um, really go hand in hand with this idea, uh, knowledge being one, uh, the gift of knowledge, which is the ability to judge correctly in matters mm -hmm. of faith and right action. There's understanding, which is insight into the very heart of things. Like you just see it. And then wisdom, which, you know, uh, you, allows you to judge according to divine truth. The last gift of the Holy Spirit, though, that really stood out to me, though, was the gift of counsel, mm -hmm. which is the one that allows a man to be directed by God in matters of necessity for his salvation, but also shows you what to do and then gives you the power to do it. So it enables a person to judge individual acts as good and ought to be done or as evil and ought to be avoided. So what I found really interesting was one of your, one of the responses we got to that mm -hmm. inquiry about um, the Catholic slant to intuition. Someone mentioned fidelity to grace. Mm hmm and I really latched onto that idea because it, it, my thought is, is that the more active you are in seeking God uh, and a life of virtue or, you know, your interior life, then the more readily accessible these gifts would probably be in your life, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. And so it's almost like a muscle. If you're already in the process of working out, then these muscles of knowledge, understanding, wisdom and counsel, they would be uh, really fine-tuned to be able yeah. to use at a quicker response rate than someone who perhaps is not actively going after those things. Um, if you'll allow me just a brief Lord of the Rings example of counsel. <laughs> <laughs> I'll you took allow me back it. To, 
confirmation class days, and I used this clip in confirmation class. It was Frodo at the council in Rivendell, right? Um, where all of this was happening. Um, they're trying to decide who's going to take the ring to Mordor and throw it into the fires of Mordor. No one even expected Frodo to be actually be the one to do it. They were arguing amongst themselves. And without any kind of um, knowledge, facts, information, what this was going to entail, what needed to be done, Frodo just, you can see it in his face. He's like, it has to be me. Mm-hmm. And then he stands up and he says, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. I was like... I feel like in that moment, that is a good example of a gift of counsel where you're kind of just sitting there and you have this feeling like, oh, that's me mm-hmm. <laughs> being called or, oh, this is my call or this is this is what needs to be done. You just know it. Yeah. Uh, and then you you have the power to stand up and do it. So I just find it really interesting. Like we may even have given to us gifts that uh, will help boost or develop this sense of intuition we do we believe that these gifts that these gifts of the holy spirit are imparted upon us by the bishop right during our our confirmation and so i think our message here to those of you women who are listening who second guess that and who just haven't developed that within yourself that strength that trust we're here to tell you that you're backed up you're backed up by biology you're backed up by psychology and underpinning all of that is god He is there under all of this and he will guide you and he's whispering to you and you can trust in this entire holistic approach that he has given you um, to your decision-making and if you are a mother to your mothering. Right. And that is such a comforting thought, right? Like these feelings are not just feelings to be dismissed. Mm -hmm. They are actually rooted in concreteness in several major areas of our makeup. (laughs) And like you were saying, in both science and our spiritual natures. And so we are able to trust our intuition. We are able to develop it even beyond what we may already have at this point and to use it to skillfully defend our homes, defend our families, and to protect that which is most important in our lives. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? Well, I read Fahrenheit 451, which was written in 1953 by Ray Bradbury. Um, Have you read that yet, Michelle? No, I haven't read it, but it's on my list. Absolutely. Um, So many of the themes and earlier versions of the characters can be found in some of his earlier short stories, some of them dating back a decade or two. And most people are familiar with the main theme, right? That that 451 is the temperature at which a book ignites and that this book is about firemen. But in this future world, the firemen start fires and they don't put them out. And then there's the main character and his slow realization after meeting a free thinking young woman that perhaps he should read one of the books that he has hidden in his house, books that he has saved from the fires that he has started. And we find out that this is a little common with some of the firefighters that they have this temptation to take a book or two over the years. And at this point, he's just been hiding them. Well, you can imagine how his mind is opened Mm. and that there's no going back. Now, what I think is really important is that this book isn't so much about the censoring of ideas, like it's always... That's how it's always talked about. Rather, it's Mm. about the control of feelings. Um, And I'm not spoiling anything here, but one of his bosses explains to him that books needed to go away because they made people feel sad or angry 
And people are just so much better when they're happy. And so for entertainment, the people of this future just want mindless drivel on their multi-wall TVs and they listen to jabbering nonsense in their shell-like earbuds from 1953, by the way, that stick in their ears Mm. all night long while taking (laughs) sleeping pills. And no one feels anything. It's just happiness. And I'm like, hmm, does that sound like any familiar situation right now? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It's it's a it's a really important read right now. And so I loved it. It was it was short. I was I flew through it and it was just a really, really good book. And they did a movie in the early 60s that I watched when I was a kid and it looks really out of date now. So I'm going to check it out and see if it's bearable to try to sit through. But it's time. They did do a remake a couple of years ago, but it got terrible reviews. So it's time somebody Mm. jump on making a great new version of Fahrenheit 451. Right. Um, I'm just seeing this trend of dystopian fiction mm, mm-hmm. hitting a little close to home right now. Yeah. And um, maybe that's why they're not remaking these movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, this is a little too eerie for yep. our tastes. That's right. But uh, you know what? As a lover of dystopian fiction, I really need to get back into it. You said Brave New World mm-hmm. and now Fahrenheit 451. And so definitely have to get back on that train. What have you been loving this week? So I've actually been loving a book as well. Um, a little different. <laughs> it's called The Dream Daughter by Diane Chamberlain. Mm. And I was really pleasantly surprised by the story arc. I was not expecting it. So I couldn't really think of how to describe it, actually, without giving too much away. So mm. um, I'm just going to read you excerpts <laughs> from the Goodreads summary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I feel like that's safe. Uh, But basically, it says, uh, you know, when Caroline Sears receives the news that her unborn baby girl has a heart defect, she is devastated. It's 1970, and there seems to be little that can be done. But her brother-in-law, a physicist, tells her that perhaps there there is something that can be done. So now her brother-in-law is telling her that something um, can be done about the brother's heart, but it's something that will shatter every preconceived notion that Caroline has, something that will require a kind of strength and courage that she never knew existed, something that will mean a mind-bending leap of faith on Caroline's part, all for the love of her unborn child. Ooh. End quote. Yes. So it's a really beautifully done story about family, love, loss, hope. Uh, And to further whet your appetite, if the summary didn't do it, uh, just know that this story is filed under the genres of historical fiction and science fiction. What? Yes. Yes, yes. So do with this information what you will. But I highly recommend that you check out The Dream Daughter by Diane Chamberlain. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhellmaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time. Thank you.